You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and the interview subject coming up for you, the fella prepared for your listening pleasure, is Rick Webster. He's all the way from Perth again. I love talking to artists from Western Australia, and if you've been a long-time listener, you'll know we've had plenty of them on the show. Now, the reason for the conversation is to promote his recently released album called Long Story Short. So let's have a listen to what Rick has to say. Here we go. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you going? Very good, mate. Very good. It's been a been a very uh, interesting day on the roads at very least, actually. I just noticed there's a shit ton of cars go- coming and going where there normally isn't. But apart from that, I've noticed oh, really? a general <laughs> level of lunacy. One of, my, uh, one of my daughters, my youngest one, tends to go a bit crazy when it's a full moon. But uh, I don't <laughs> think it's a full moon at <laughs> the moment. Time, yeah. Just sort of notice. <laughs> yeah, just one of those days. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me on the show. That's fine, mate. That's fine. Yeah, what have you been up to today? Day job, that sort of thing? Oh, no. Actually, to, to be honest, I, I don't want to rub it in, but actually, today's my usually my one day off for the week, which is pretty oh, nice. Right. So I uh, haven't had much on, but uh, yeah, for the rest of the week, it's all flat out, unfortunately. <laughs> I bet, yeah. How do you balance everything, though? Because obviously, obviously you're a musician, and that's the reason for our conversation. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, as people seem to forget sometimes, musicians have got lives. <laughs> Which means jobs, yeah, mortgage payments, yeah. and all the rest of it. You know, as much as we want yeah, to. Yeah, that's it. You know, yeah, uh, I know. Well, yeah, I can definitely uh, sympathise with the mortgage payment thing, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's really hard. It's uh, it's almost like uh, sometimes you have to kind of put the uh, musician thing aside just for a little bit. You have to kind of convince yourself to do it, and then uh, mm-hmm. do some things that you don't really want to do, like a you know day job or whatever. I do like music teaching, luckily, which is still a little bit of music oh, in there. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so yeah. you just kind of do that, and and I and you just sort of get things done to pay the mortgage and, and uh, yeah, be a be a husband. <laughs> I know the feeling, as am I. Yeah, I mean, I got two, as I said, I got two kids, and. Uh, as well as the wife and the dog and the cat and everything else. And uh, I tell you, I tell you <laughs> something now. Let me raise this subject with you now, and I'm going to gather your thoughts or obtain your thoughts on this yeah, one sure. here. But these days, we're my oldest is six, so obviously we've had at least one kid for at least six and a bit years. But we're just finding I'm in my forties. Um, yeah. That we're starting to recognise the disconnect between us and some of our friends that either aren't married or don't have kids. What are your thoughts on that one there? Do you notice that, you know, when it comes to some of your uh, mates that aren't married yet that are still living the single life and living it up that way? Oh, yeah. Is there a different way? Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's obviously like you end up in a very, uh, very different life position, um, especially, you know, I think it's once you have kids. I don't have any kids yet myself, but, uh, you know, I have friends that have kids and, um, you know, it's so different, especially in those um, in those early years of having children. I imagine you know it's it's a completely different way of life. And uh, you know, I try and uh, stay uh, <laughs> stay keep up with them a little bit. But uh, you know, you just I guess it's two very different directions. You know, for instance, mm. having kids and not having kids. And you know, you can and you still stay uh, stay friends and everything. But you, it, it is a little bit different. And uh, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. It is, you you have to kind of put the effort in, I guess, to uh, to make sure that you that you stay close. Yeah, you do, you do, which usually means doing things like inviting friends that don't have kids to kids' birthday parties because that's a reason to, to get together and have a chat. You can always bring out the bottle of Chardonnay after midday, you know, just quietly yeah, not in front right, of the kids, yeah, yeah. you know. But they're the opportunities that you get. But we just, yeah, we most of our friends, on reflection, don't have kids, um, which yeah, we only sort of thought about recently. And uh, that's not, not an age gap thing either. Um, 
they're our age, uh, but they don't have kids yeah, yet. Yeah. So, or some mm. of them aren't planning on having kids. But uh, yeah, it's one of those interesting things. I always remember when I was growing up, my parents didn't have a lot of friends themselves that used to come over. It was family. My mother came from yeah, a big yeah. family, so that was the way entertainment was was had, if you like, uh, with yeah. other people. It was with family, and very rarely did we meet somebody from outside of that sphere. But I guess it's just the yeah. tried and tested way that families have gotten by in years gone by. But I, I, uh, I just yeah, that's I, right. I like to bring up something a bit left field in my interviews. So there you no, go. no, that's great. It's it's very it's very funny you mentioned that because I it was really similar with my uh, with my family as well. Like my uh, mum's side of the family is huge. <laughs> it's massive. Mm. You know, I think you know I have so many cousins and so many uncles and aunties and everything. It really was like that when I was growing up. You know, it was just sort of. Fam- like big family gatherings, and yeah, I never really, I never really thought about that till much later. <laughs> and they, you know, my mum and dad, they had their friends and stuff, but I guess they would see them at different times. And yeah, it's, it's funny that. Mm. Oh well, mate. Let's talk about this album now because I have had it on. Uh, oh is, great! Is uh, long story short, is it out yet? It is out. Yes, it yeah. just came out probably oh, about a just over a month ago. Okay, I'm enjoying it. Probably my favourite oh, thing about you. it is that mate, it is beautifully recorded. It's one of those albums. I had to actually, it was, it was a strange experience actually because I listened to almost all of my music on an iPhone, on the speakers that oh, is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, mm. so it, that tells me very clearly whether or not something's been recorded well. Okay, uh, and I use that term broadly, of course, because what other choice have I got? But the reality is a lot of albums sound absolutely terrible over the iPhone speakers, but that's how people are consuming music these days and watching films. They're watching them over on the iPhone, and that's uh, the audio device as well. Yeah. Your album, though, let that's me tell right, you, yeah. listening to it in the car, I've got a Jeep, and I was listening to it in the Jeep a few times uh, in uh, leading up to our conversation, mate, and it just... I was really taken with how, how you've managed to get it to sound the way you have. Your guitar playing, your uh, I play guitar and bass as well. Okay, so awesome. your phrasing is one of the best I've ever heard. So, oh, thank you. The That's exe- such a nice thing to say. Thank you. Well, the execution of the note, and I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast series because I think a lot of, a lot of young musicians listen in, and I like mm-hmm. to pick out the guitarist and go, this guy here, and in this case I'm talking to you, Rick Webster, Rick Webster is a guy to listen to if you want to hear articulate phrasing on an acoustic guitar. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. That's brilliant. I love uh, – that's such a nice thing to say because, I mean, that's really what I work on a lot. I, I A lot of my playing – like a huge chunk of my playing is on acoustic guitar, really, and I because I love playing acoustic guitar. So um, even though, you know, a lot of the album is electric, uh, I, I've always been just an acoustic guitar player, really. Yeah. You can tell. You can definitely tell. And you're the sort of guitarist that, as a bass player, I would love to play with because <laughs> you don't overcomplicate things. And, and I can tell that you don't have an ego about your playing either. You're just trying to get the job done. Meaning that you know you know where you're headed to, so you'll just you'll do the old David Gilmore thing. Just use the minimum amount of notes possible to create as much noise or sound as you can. And I think you you would you whether you do it consciously or subconsciously, that's what I'm hearing as a listener. I'm really oh, definitely yeah. Oh, thank you. That's I mean because when it comes to um, yeah, I mean as a as a guitar player, it's as I'm sure you have probably experienced as well. It's really easy to uh, to over over uh overplay and just kind of put everything out there and even mm. when you have a short space of time you can get so caught up in being like here's everything i do here's everything i say here's everything kind of thing in, in, uh in one big hit so um really this time around when i came to record um i i, I basically i tried to just 
we we recorded all actually fairly pretty much live in the studio apart from um you know, a couple of some of the guitar overdubs and stuff. Mm. So I really made sure that I, I kind of knew what I wanted to get out of each um, song and, and that kind of thing. And also, like, I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of, um, like, musical theatre stuff and I, uh, in, like, in the orchestra and I do a lot of pop stuff and I do a lot of things where really you sort of have that one moment for about <laughs> five seconds to kind of yeah. make, your, make your mark. And I think that's kind of been such a big influence on my playing in, like, you know, just not not coming across too full on. I, I, I'm basically I'm a songwriter, really. So I, I, mm. I love to write a nice song and play guitar that that goes nicely with that. One of the things that I noticed was that your guitar playing, and I know this isn't an engineering trick in the studio or with Pro Tools or whatever you're using. I can everything's even in your playing. Like you understand what I'm saying. No matter where you are on the fretboard, it seems to come out at virtually the same. Well, it's the intended pitch. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's the intended pitch. So how have you done that? Because, of course, the closer I get to the 12th fret and probably a lot of the listeners too, you lose that articulate phrasing, but you've kept it. So can you give us any oh, hints or tips on that one? That's a, that's a very, very good question. That's an excellent question. I, oh, that's a, it's a big one. It's, I know exactly what you mean. It's very uh, – you, you need to – like you, yeah, you want to be so comfortable in every kind of position that it, it comes out. Um, yeah, just clean. You know, yeah, clean and, and you can hear it. Yeah, yeah, nice and clean. And I have to say, some of it, um, playing wise, is really just uh, knowing the knowing the position that you're in, knowing what you're kind of going for. I I tend to. I mean, you always hear those kind of David Gilmore. Again, you mentioned David Gilmore. Those mm. um, kind of things that he comes up with, where he says he kind of sings his parts and then plays them, that sort of thing. So they sound quite natural. And mm-hmm. I and I have done that quite a lot um somewhat on this album where i kind of had an idea and i would sing it and then try and uh you know play that idea so it sounds nice like something singing um which is generally what i go for when i play the guitar the other thing is basically i just had the luxury of plugging in an amp and putting it on 50 in the studio (laughs) putting on you know like putting it on 11 Mm. so that can really help too just having the power of that volume yeah um as well you know just it's it's, i guess it's a natural um compression when you basically put a tube amp up really loud um and that that definitely helps as well i just i yeah it helps with that kind of singing style that i go for yeah that's really well put actually because it is a bit of a singing style that you've got but i was just so taken this is, I, I typically interview, and a lot of the people listening, I think it's fair to say, love heavy metal, black metal, death metal, extreme metal, this sort of thing. But your sort of music is, the way you play, no matter what genre of music you are playing, you can learn a lesson from how you do things. Because Oh, thank it's, you. It's really nice. Well, so I, I find it's such a big issue these days with a lot of, it's not about young musicians, it's about emer- emerging musicians who aren't tried and tested or seasoned as I like to say. And they're playing notes at a million miles an hour. You know, look, a lot of these young shredders that are really influenced by a great band like Rings of Satin or what have you. But they don't mm. have the phrasing there. They're interested in getting from start to the finish as quickly as they possibly can instead of mm. focusing on the note. Now, it's got nothing to do with something um, as uh, ethereal as saying it's about the emotion or the feel. It's just a technical thing about getting the note right. And then you don't have to use as many notes. And it still sounds yeah, full. Yeah, that's right. It still sounds yeah, full. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And it's mm. it's I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm just seeing so many of these young guys and girls on YouTube at the moment, and it's the it's that they just need to take a step back and have a listen to somebody like you who's got it, who's, you know what you're doing, and just 
learning one of your songs or a part of your song and playing along to it. Oh, thank you. That's yeah. That's uh, I really appreciate you saying all those things. Yeah, no worries. Really nice. I, I'm, I'm so. Um, I, I think I was really lucky in that I, I remember I, I kind of you know everyone when they're a musician they sort of have these sort of, uh, I guess light bulb kind of moments. And for me, I was playing because uh, I've I've done um, some jazz kind of study in my in my time. Nice. Um, and I was playing with a really great drummer. Um, and we were playing, and I used, and you know, I'm sort of just trying to get everything out there that I want to play, and you know, just trying to keep up basically <laughs> as much as I can. And he kind of said, he said to me, he kind of stopped everything and went, "Look, let's just try something. I'm just going to play, and I don't want, I want you to be 100 percent sure every note that you play that comes out is in time with my drums, and everything you play is, it fits, and it's 100 percent." He's like, "I don't care if you play one note." for X amount of time, <laughs> just do it and see what happens. Yeah. And and I did it and it was like, I, I really concentrated and I, it was like, I played like two notes and it fit and it was in time and it sounded nice. And it, when it fits, it fits and you, you feel that straight away. And mm. as soon as I felt that in, um, uh, you know, as soon as I felt that all kind of clicked together, I went, Oh, that's incredible. That's amazing. That's what, um, you know, all those players, um, you know that you hear they about, like, for, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. BB King and, and and those kind of guys. That's mm. what that's how they get that. Um, that's why it feels so good when those guys play. And that's not to say either that you know some of the shredders don't have that feel, but they they're very conscious of it. They're still conscious of that um, of what that is and and how to fit in um, mm. in the song and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's just a. I, I was very lucky to have that moment. I think because mm. um, that's what I think about pretty much every time I play since that moment which was admittedly about 10 years ago so it's um it's really it's come on it's just evolved from there really Hmm. it's a good point you make about shredders though because the biggest issue is that putting a million notes inside of a minute will never make you inventive it just means that you can play quickly and you've got your technique down to the point where you can relatively cleanly hit the note on a fret without it buzzing or ringing or what have you but it's it really comes down to focusing on technique and then refining the creative aspect of it. And you're pretty much there, I think, in terms of the soloing. You know, I mean, obviously you follow the yeah. notes and then you've got the modes and the like that affect the way scales are formed. But nobody's, nobody, I mean, there's only, I mean, you're probably very technically inclined, mate, but most people aren't. So they're, so they're doing mm. things by ear. But if you just sort of yeah, learn that, yeah. you know, that first, third, fifth, seventh sort of a routine there and then start structuring mm-hmm. solos in such a way where they're harmonically resonant because because you've got an accurate phrasing on the fretboard, you won't need to do that million notes a mile thing. And I'm, I'm look, I'm a big heavy metal fan, but I'm thoroughly over it. My, my favourite uh, guitarist as a, as a heavy metal guitarist, if you like, I mean, there's your Richie Blackmore's, your Trey Zagtoth mm. from Morbid Angel. One of the great things that Trey does is, uh, he, of course, he's probably the most inventive death metal guitarist ever. But yeah, yeah. everything he does is very similar to Jaco Pistorius, the bassist. Now, it's not a NAF comparison, this one here, because Jaco was accused of just riffing, playing notes that didn't didn't make sense and didn't fit into a scale. Mm-hmm. People got reels of his playing and slowed it down. It turns out every note that he was playing was dead on where it needed to be per the scale, per the mode. It was harmonically correct. And that is the same for yeah. Trey as well. Uh, but they're, wow. they're, they're iconoclasts, these guys. I mean, they're not even... You know, they 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 were Jaco. Unfortunately, is long gone, but Trey's still here. 
he's connected to something beyond the ether. Yeah, this is like a genius, wow, yeah. genius level, you know, that sort of thing. But I think, I think closer to Earth, if you don't mind me saying, and just to round out the point, young guitarists or emerging guitarists listening to you, mate, I mean, they can't go wrong. You know, there's, there's a lot of these, you know, Rodrigo and Gabriella style, you know, shredders out there. I get that. And that's a wonderful playing. But if you, mm. just to tie the point up, is anybody out there, listen to what Rick has done on this album here with the way it sounds. It's not studio trickery. This is the way he's playing it. It's just going straight into the console from the amp, as you're saying there, no doubt. And probably three or four... Uh, you know, connection points in between, meaning that it's just really you, mate. That's the sound that's coming straight up from your... Are you left-handed or right-handed when you play? Uh, right-handed, right-handed, yeah. Okay, so it's your left hand that's, that's forming the chord. It's your left hand that's doing practically all of the work. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's... It's interesting you, you make that point. It's it's funny in terms of... Um, in terms of some of those uh, shredders and stuff, it's... I, I do... It's... I do really appreciate that, that music and all that kind of stuff. And the big part of... Me just with Eddie, like Van Halen, oh, yeah. just because I, I grew up listening to that stuff. And I just, I think that's where some of my, uh, when I do, you know, kind of, like his feel is so good <laughs> on that stuff. And it's just unbeatable. And same with Clapton. It's very, Eric Clapton and Spot Eddie, on. and they're so similar yep. in the terms of their feel. And I just love that stuff. And Eddie's one of those guys that's just, um, you know, he's kind of got that feel and can just, you know, blaze it, and you know a lot of guys have obviously surpassed Eddie since then. And there's some other really great shredders um, out there, but it's like he just has that magic little feel in there, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mark Knopfler, Eric Clapton, Alan Holdsworth, Van Halen, Trey Exacto—that's pretty much it. And there's there's a lot yeah, of other guys in yeah. between. Al Demiola, for example, Paco de Lucia. Although he could be sloppy mm. at times, Paco, meaning that he was just playing what he's what he's playing, and it's music that's coming somewhere else for him too. He, mm. Every time I look at Jaco, uh, sorry, Paco, he he looks like he's channeling music from somewhere else again. A bit like what I said about Trey. Yeah. he's just. I, yeah, I wrote yeah. a big blog entry about him. I'm just mesmerized by his playing, but he's probably. The one guitarist that I can say, well, if you can do what he can do, you don't need to worry about technique too, too much. Because, yeah, that's so true, yeah. It's so beautiful listening to his playing. And again, he's another guy who just got, got the notes. But, you know, he was never trained formally. It was his dad who oh, taught Oh, really? Him. I didn't know that. That's yeah, interesting. I, I really dived into it. Yeah, his brother's an excellent flamenco guitarist, possibly as, as good as Parker. But Parker was so charismatic. You know, he just... Wow, that's, that's very interesting. I did not know that he was... Yeah, he sounds like he's very, uh, very... You know, he's really delved into all that stuff, you know, edu- like, you know, studied it and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was interesting listening to, um, you know, McLaughlin and Demiola, the uh, the concerts that he did with them. And he made mm. a, he made a, is a very famous quote out there. He goes, people think that because he's, by that stage, the early 80s, late 70s, his star was about as high as it would ever get. He was a global superstar of guitar playing. But he said that people think that it's them keeping up with me and you're wrong it's me keeping up with them they're technically schooled or I'm paraphrasing here yeah. but they're technically schooled and it's it's stressful effectively I think he was saying for him to do that but you know I mean he's the rasquiado the way he could just master that you know with his right hand and he yeah. just the even way a bit like you mate the even way it just came out of the guitar it's just people who don't have an appreciation for the guitar don't understand these things but I think you and I do so we uh, I listen into it and I just thank God for you know the legacy of the Pacadula Cheers and the Joko Pastorius. Yeah, uh, I know. And th- those guys, they're just, yeah, as you said, they're, they're, you get those guys that are just, they're born to play music, you know, Jaco and, and, and those guys. They're just, 
they have something else, you know. <laughs> it's, yeah, they're just channeled into it from a, you know, from forever. Probably they're born with it, you know. Yeah. Hey, just back to your album again. So um, it was one of those albums I put on because I didn't see Sophie's name in the, you know, the uh, artwork because you can't see it on the iPhone. <coughs> on the iPhone oh, right. Much these days, but <laughs> of course, this this beautiful female vocal came in, and uh, it really suits what you're doing, mate. By the way, so I think you've both crafted together a wonderful album. But um, but tell me about your relationship with her. Is it is it a band kind of a setup? That you've got with her going it, on or it is yeah so i mean uh sophie's insane like as you probably heard on the on the uh on the album her voice is just it's powerhouse it's very um i guess aretha franklin kind of soul she's mm. really like a very very strong soul singer um and really uh we've played a lot of gigs together we've done a lot of um i've done when i've done cover band gigs I've, i play with her and that's where i first kind of heard her thing I, I i just was playing a gig with her and i went whoa who's this who's this singer and mm. a lot of the time when i write music that's where um basically i come up with what i'm going to do in, on an album really i hear a sing because i can't sing at all i'm pretty terrible so I, when i'm thinking about doing an album or you know a collection of songs i'm i i hear a vocalist and i go she would sound amazing on this type of song or, you know, this person would sound great on this type of song. And when I heard her voice, I thought I would love to make a kind of rocky, almost like Brian Adams, Tom Betty and the Heartbreakers kind of album. Nice. Her strong, yep. strong vocal. And that's sort of where it all kind of um, grew from. And really, I do have like a, it is a bit of a band set up in terms of that guys, the, because really the band is only me, um, Greg who plays drums and Josh who plays bass so we play together a lot yep. and um, so the band was really small and then with Sophie on board as well it's just like this tight little four piece and when we play gigs and yeah it just works so so well and so it, it's pretty much a regular band lineup, you know yeah nice okay what does Sophie do is she normally a, I've seen I looked at your Facebook page so of course I can see that you got some pictures of her singing in the band and then I jumped across to her page because it was a suggestion on your page Oh, right, yeah. That. yeah, but she's—you both are playing in front of separately and together, pretty big audiences. So, and I know, mate. I will talk about this in the second more detail. But um, you know, I couldn't have a chat to you without getting you to tell us about all the wonderful awards that you've won. But first, just this relationship here with, uh, or Sophie, sorry, or with Sophie. What does she normally do, mate? Is she a bit like you? She's a singing teacher as well. Or can you tell me a bit more about her? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, she uh, is also a singing teacher. Um, and we both do, basically, we both do a lot of cover gigs uh, together and, you know, just sort of things that pop up, um, cover gigs, that oh, so sort of the, stuff. The covers um, before, yeah, gotcha. Yep. Yeah, and then we do, we both kind of play, sometimes Sophie will sing with Perth Symphony Orchestra and yeah, that's, I'll that's play with Perth Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and sometimes I'll, you know, I'll do gigs for Wazo and she'll do a gig for, you know, Wazo or something different like that. So we all, we both kind of do similar stuff that sometimes together <laughs> and similar stuff that sometimes not together. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But um, yeah, she's just an incredible singer, really. She's uh, very in demand over here. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I, that, was, that was sort of what I was, I was hoping to get at was that I saw that picture of her playing with what looked like an orchestra. And then you mentioned it's the, the Perth Symphony Orchestra. That's a big deal, mate. I mean, you're playing with somebody there that really knows this, this shit, if you don't mind me saying it's uh, a lot of yeah. people, to talk about these things, but then they don't do it. But to see, you know, the vocalist that you're working with there in uh, front of an orchestra pit, that's very impressive. Yeah, oh, it is, yeah. And uh, it's, um, yeah, because I think that's probably one of the first times I probably met Sophie as well was playing with Perth, was playing with Perth Symphony Orchestra. And um, 
Yeah, it's 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 a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> it's a yeah. it's such a big sound. It's it's such a it can be so such a, a th- like it's a it's a real adrenaline rush. And yeah, and she handled it perfectly. Let's talk about these awards then, because uh, Lee's uh, bio that he sent over of, of yourself, mate. Yeah, it talked about all of the awards, but I'm going to hand it over to you now, mate. You've you've won a stack of them. So can you tell me what you've won and the reason that you've won them? Sure, sure. I mean, the biggest one was really uh, the John Lennon songwriting competition, yeah, um, which was a few years ago now. But that that one was really just, and all those uh, some of those international awards around that time. It was really like I, I, I kind of just started writing more stuff. Really, I just started thinking about releasing more music, and I just didn't really know what I was doing in terms of songwriting i was sort of writing a song and wondering whether it was good or wondering if people actually like it or you know it's so, it's so hard sometimes to get good feedback <laughs> honest feedback True. so i sent yep. it off to um the john lennon songwriting competition and a few of those others basically because they offered a uh, song evaluation so i thought oh i'll get the evaluation see if i'm on the right track um, and then when it came back that I won the John Lennon songwriting competition uh, in the uh, jazz category, I think it was, um, and some of those other ones, I was a runner-up and, you know, I was all these different things. And I got the evaluations back and it was all really positive. I thought, wow, that's not what I expected. I, it just wasn't even on my radar in the slightest. Like, I, I just really wanted to know <laughs> if I was on the right track. So I, I definitely got the answer to that question, which was really great. And it just spurred me on so much to create more music really which is you know a nice feeling yeah great yeah but there's that's not the only award there i think there's some is it a whammy that you've won as well um i haven't won a whammy but i've been nominated uh three four times or so which Hmm. is awesome too because the the whammy was such a big deal here and uh you know it's such an awesome organization so it's so good to get recognized by them in any way it's it's Hmm. really really nice yeah yeah. The whammies are a big deal, okay, and I've spoken to the vast majority of Australian interview subjects that I've had on the show do come from Perth because of my relationship with Lee and the Firestarter guys there. And and look, I, I say this sincerely, as I said in another podcast, God, people who listen to me regularly are going to get sick of me saying this, but I've, I've found something to like about everything that I've heard from Western Australia. Okay, I've yeah. never never oh, put great. something on where I've gone. And to be honest, this is it does not. It's definitely not like this at all. Uh, some of the stuff I get is just not well thought out at all. Okay, and I, I, that's why I make a point of being a fan of just about every genre you can imagine under every subgenre category you can imagine as well. But uh, you know, good music is needs to be a bit like yours. It needs to be appreciated regardless of whether or not you like a genre or not. But the whammies, I think, really encourage Western Australian artists to keep on producing wonderful music because the reality is you might get nominated and even even win an award. And I think like. Um, Again, I was saying this on another podcast last week, but I felt that there's a lot of disrespect toward winning awards from Australian artists towards the Arias during the 90s and maybe even bled over into the mm. early 2000s a little bit. And I don't think that they were being taken seriously enough from the perspective that the industry is acknowledging it. It's probably the only industry in the world where you'd see that sort of nonchalance toward it. Any other industry, mm, ICT, yeah. tech, that sort of thing, you know, Nobel Peace Prize, anything that involves being recognised by your peers or a panel is coveted. But we went through a period in Australia where we think we had a bit of a, uh, a unique relationship with all of that sort of stuff. But I never caught any of that shade from artists over in Western Australia toward the whammies. So I can only mm. say, man, that it must help. And to even be nominated, mate, is a wonderful thing. 
Oh, totally. And I mean, like the Wham Award, the Whammy Awards are just like, uh, it's a very, uh, I think the great part about it is it covers such a wide, as you said, like a, a wide variety of genres. Mm. And, you know, it's so easy sometimes, um, not saying the, you know, other awards are like this, but it would be so easy for some, for an organization like Wham to, you know, be like, okay, we're going to give out a pop award and a folk award and a country, award, you know, like whatever's kind of popular at the moment. But it's like, you know, they give, mm. you know, opportunities to jazz art. When I was a, cause I used to be quite a, a heavy jazz artist and Wham would offer me a slot in the Wham Festival. <laughs> you know, I, I played for the Wham Festival playing like a, in a jazz band. Nice. And yep. that's just so awesome. You know, like you think about how many organizations, you know, give those opportunities to a jazz group and give other opportunities to a heavy metal group and then give opportunities to a pop group. And, you know, they cover everything and they support all types of music, which is, you know, which I think is so important, um, you know, in a, in a uh, you know, music culture, in especially somewhere as isolated as, as Perth can mm. be, it's, it's so important to have that support, to feel like you have some sort of support, you know, which is, it's, and that's where, you know, the, the Wham Awards really um, end up, you know, with the Song Awards and the, the Artist Awards as well. They really make it feel like, you know, people are recognised and they aren't paying attention to what every genre is doing, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. A, a band that I, re- I really love, one of my favourite bands is actually from Perth called Intenzo. They do like in- experimental music. You've heard of them or not? Oh, right. No, I haven't heard of them. Nice That's guys. Really nice guys as oh. well. You know, they sent over the CD and everything to me. And But they won the experimental category in the whammies. And uh, I think they won it two years oh, wow. in a row. I could be wrong, but they definitely won it once. And yeah, right. I'll check them out. That's interesting. I haven't, I haven't actually heard of them, but I'll, I'll check them out. Yeah, do because they illustrate both of our points really well. In that, all types of music are covered under the whammies, and this is music. It's, it's really quite melodic music in, on one level, but mm. it's, it's very avant-garde. I mean, it's, you know, it's the sort of thing Brian Eno would be really impressed with. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I think, oh, cool. I think like recognizing. That sort of music is so important because that's the sort of music that will never chart, it'll never make the lads a bunch of money, but it'll influence people to create and make music. Exactly, yeah. And they're, they're the guys that, um, you know, where the, if they get a little bit of support and have the platform to create it, they're going to keep creating it and, that, and that's going to make more people create. And that's how the, the you know, the culture grows, which is awesome. Yeah. Great point. Yeah, that's a really good point, mate, I think, yeah. And because the Wham is, I think, we kind of mentioned it, but... They're, they're they're kind of obtainable, far more obtainable than an ARI or a bloody Grammy or anything. I mean, I mean, I, I can't yeah. even watch the Grammy Awards these days. They they don't even recognise rock music properly. Yeah, you know, they, yeah. They have, that, yeah, that's yeah. I think God, I might be mistaken here, but I think Beyonce won the rock category last year. Oh, really? <laughs> I think so. I'd, I'd I'd better fact check that. God, don't take me on on my word on that one. There, yeah. it was somebody really inappropriate anyway that should never have won it, given the calibre of artists. And I mean, I'm if I if I took every opportunity to interview artists through the week that I was given, I'd be talking to at least two rock art, two rock artists a night. Yeah, okay. right. Just to show, because yeah. fans love it. Fans are all over it, but the media isn't, and the Grammys and these award shows overseas aren't. And uh, mm. and it's really, I, I love everything. I've got a French house t-shirt, meaning uh, um, what was the label? Ed Banger t-shirt. I love, I love all types of music, from extreme metal to French house to what you're doing. You know, I mean, you don't have to marginalise rock music because of no reason. I mean, I don't know what the reason is, but yeah, you know, yeah. It's so I mean, popular. I mean, rock music is just you know, it's still it still has a really popular following. Like, and the the people that follow it are 
you know, so dedicated to it still, you know, and it, it must have something to it if, you know, <laughs> if everyone's still that passionate about it, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. So, mate, in terms of promoting this album, um, what are your plans? Good, uh, yeah, very good question. Well, I'm probably doing uh, probably uh, one of the worst <laughs> things that I can do, which is to go on holiday. Uh, I actually just got married at the end of last year, so I'm uh, oh, heading out on our honeymoon with my wife uh, in about, 10 days or so we're just heading over to uh to europe or so for a few weeks and then when i get back it'll be hopefully some shows um more shows in perth obviously and then uh hopefully we're hoping to take it on the road and hopefully do some shows um over east and yeah uh, just more shows i mean i like you know live music is just where it's at for me i just love doing it and i love um I i actually really love live recordings as well my um previous album before this was completely live just a live gig um so i think i would you know i just would love to just uh play more live shows and just record live shows and yeah release those live shows and yeah i'm I'm all about that yeah fair enough yeah let me ask you this question then because i'm I'm big on this one here too with artists but you're you're a bit more established in that you've got a rep and all the rest of it so do you see a lot of value value in in merchandise T-shirts. Hats. I do. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I, it's funny. I, I uh, was actually talking about this uh, with a friend of mine the other day, who's not a musician and doesn't really just. I guess your average <laughs> non-musician music consumer, I guess. <laughs> and uh, and the, and I said to them, like, I don't because I, I release my album uh, on vinyl and online. I saw and, that. Uh, Great. Yeah. Yeah, and they were like, they couldn't really. It was a bit of a head scratcher to them why I released it on vinyl, and I said, "Well, to be honest, like no one really buys CDs anymore anyway. So if I press it on vinyl, at least it's a little bit more <laughs> unique. And you know, mm. people buy even if they don't have a vinyl player, they might buy it because it, it's yeah, the it album looks cover. Nice. It looks and really, nice, yeah. my yeah, that's right. My album is essentially you know a piece of merchandise. And I said I actually almost toyed with the idea of making just um, keep cups." with my logo on it instead with a download card inside it at my shows. That'd be awesome. Because I probably, I probably sell more of them. I imagine I probably sell more of them than I would a vinyl. And uh, my friend was like, well, to be honest, I would definitely buy a keep cup, <laughs> but I probably wouldn't buy a vinyl. And I said, ah, damn, you know, I, hey, I should have done that. Here's my pitch yeah. then. Here's my pitch then. You just hit on a really good point then with keep cups and I was going to bring up household items and consumer grade items. Okay. So mm-hmm. here's what I think. Tea towels. Why the hell is nobody doing them? Because seriously, we're like you got to think. I mean, like there are some bands like Kiss that put their bloody names on everything, including coffins. But that doesn't yeah. count because you know yeah. Kiss are weird. But um, with um, with with you, mate, being a you know you you people are connecting to you on a on a one to one basis. If you like, you know, you're an obtainable musician for people to look up to. Uh, having something like a tea towel, man. That's yeah. I mean, that just puts you in every household potentially. Exactly, yeah, and that sort of stuff. I think that, I mean, that's these days. And it's so funny because you say that to people and they kind of laugh and they think it's a joke. But really, I mean, when you think about it these days, uh, you know, not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with streamable music or anything like that, but people, you know, they they stream music and they listen to it on their phone and the, the market's moving towards, you know, people are more likely to, to buy a, a piece of merchandise and then listen to the, the music on their, uh, on Spotify yeah. or something, which is, you know, it's just different. It's just different to how it was, you know, even probably 10 years ago. So it's it's sort of, that sort of thinking is, is kind of what's required these days. Yeah. How old are you, mate, if you don't mind me asking? I'm um, 35. Okay, you're about the same age as me. I'm 41. 
Um, mm. I grew up obviously with I, I saw the movement not from vinyl. Vinyl was not around when I. I mean, it was around when I was a kid, but you know, you didn't buy it. It was just sort of there. Um, mm. Cassette tapes, obviously, were the thing through the eighties and the early part of the nineties, and the, the CD revolution as soon as Discman's became a thing. Mm. And, mate, I thought it was a wonderful thing when I started to consume music over stream, not streaming, over downloading in 2003 mm. or so, kind of a late arrival, yeah, yeah. really. I mean, I had Napster when I was a kid, but then that got removed and all the rest of it. But you couldn't take the music off you, off, unless you'd saved it on the, you know, 256K hard drive that they had around back in the late <laughs> 90s. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. you weren't, you weren't going to sort of save the music that you downloaded from Napster and be able to use it elsewhere is my point. But yeah, I thought, yeah, that's right. I thought that the the I, I'd never been a massive fan of having stacks of CDs around like I did when I was a kid because you know the plastic breaks and blah blah blah. Yeah. I just thought it was clunky and I I really I've really embraced digital. Now I know you mentioned what what you said before about streaming and the like, but but the opportunity for you as an artist is so remove streaming to your point is to you can have music played over in far more places in, in more more often. Because you can give them a download card and say, "Download my album. Here you go." And you can do something like wrap it in with merch. So I think I think yeah, we're, right. you know, I mean, it's it's. I know artists. It's sort of, uh, and you've touched on it too. The model has shifted from selling music as a product, a physical product. So these days, you've got to have a strong merch game. You've got to have the live show sorted. But can you think of any other way that an artist can potentially earn money without really selling their soul and the one in the million yeah. shot like getting on an ad? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think uh, it's, it's, it's a very good question. I think the, um, the merch thing is, is definitely such a big one. And, and the live shows are so important. I think probably more important these days in terms of because, yeah, if these days like though you go to, you might not go that often to see a live band, you know, especially, um, you know, people these days, I don't think go and see live shows as much. So it's become, I think it's a bit more special now to go and see a band than it used to be in terms of, you know, um, you know, you just go out on a night out and have drinks and, you know, see the band at the pub or something. I feel like it's more when you see a band now, it's a band that you want to see. I think that's, which is why I think the live shows are so important now. I could be wrong about that. I could be way off. It's just my, my opinion. But, um, I also think the other thing is, is is to get the songwriting game strong, you know, as always. I guess that's a tried and true kind of method, but I feel like there's so many opportunities now over the internet um, to collaborate with artists, to collaborate with a songwriter. You know, you could, uh, same way you can, you know, be signed by a record label, you could write a song and network with people over the world through the internet, have your song recorded by someone over the other side of the world. Um and that's it's a way to get your name out there. It's I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do, but uh, it's definitely just another little. Oh, people do it though, don't they? The boat, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's that's just... right. The uh, the new um, Dido single was written by a guy in Perth, the guy who runs the studio here in Perth. Shit. Um, and it's yeah, it's top. You know, it's killing it at the moment. And you know, I I don't know if he hooked that up over the internet or whatever, but you know, it kind of happened just from running the studio, writing songs, pitching them to people and you're gone to the kind of, well, I'm sure they still somewhat exist, but um, you know, like everything, the internet's made the world so much smaller and you, you can pitch songs to people and even, you know, small artists, big artists, mm. they're always, everyone's looking for a good song, <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah. you can, you can really improve your songwriting game by doing that. That's so true. 
what I've said this so many times, you only learn as a musician by playing and performing and recording with other people. You definitely that's don't right. learn by sitting in a room, in my view. That's, that's my view, of course, but it's just... I, uh, I, I've, I sat in my room for years as a teenager playing bass and guitar, and the only time I ever started genuinely getting better when I was forced to react on stage in front of people in situations that made me feel uncomfortable. Uh, I can't, I, especially, <laughs> true, yeah. especially yeah. as a young fella in my twenties, early twenties, playing in new metal bands and playing with guitarists that'd forget the part or what have you, and they'd end up in a chorus and they're supposed to be going to a bridge or something, and you think, well, yeah. I've just got to react. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the, the uh, adrenaline. A fear adrenaline at a gig is uh, is a very powerful thing. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I know the is when you first gig, you're like, oh, I don't. You, you take it so. You've got to take it oh, seriously. Yeah. There's not the point, but it's you know you stress about it big time. But God, at this point, I don't know how many gigs I've done. It's well into the. It's probably two or three hundred at this point, and uh, covers. I play covers as well, and if something goes wrong. I just great. We've got a bit of a break until things start going right again. No worries. You know. Yeah, like, yeah. You sort a, of have that little. Yeah, you sort of have this little moment where everything goes a bit chaotic, and then it just sort of all snaps back into place. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Hopefully it does. I've done. I've done a lot of turn up and play gigs. What aka yeah, session yeah. work where you turn up and you don't know every. You literally do gigs where you arrive. It's so noisy in the venue because you're playing covers and there's, you know, the doof doof music going off in the background and. You introduce yourself to people and you can only see them mouthing their name, like bread or whatever. Oh, yeah. And, and you literally yeah. play gigs where you don't know anybody's name that's in the band. People looking at you think you've been together for years and you're just yeah. playing cover songs <laughs> that you just hope that they're not changed to bridge or a version. that cha- You know, you've learnt the right version. You know, not the single yep. version as opposed to the album version, that sort of thing. Oh, I but, know, I know. I don't know how people... I, I We often talk about this when, we, when I've done covers gigs where I just don't really know how people did cover gigs in you know in like say the 80s and 90s and that sort of thing because you probably you know put everything on a cassette give someone a cassette hope they learn it and then come together and then hope that it works and yeah it's it's, it's a well, big was, thing <laughs> let me tell you i was playing music in the late 90s where we did the equivalent to that but it was with a cd and mm. and you really and it wasn't like playing there wasn't like the uh focus right thing that I've got here now with my Apple Mac where you could sort of plug it in and you could adjust the volumes and you could sort of, you know, boost the bass or guitar or whatever it was. You could stop and rewind very easily like you can with the Apple iTunes player. This was literally, um, I think you had to plug it in through my, your 4-track. You used to have, an, remember the 4-tracks? Had to have yeah, an auxiliary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember yeah. that? You'd plug it in through an auxiliary cable and then you'd have to sort of stop, rewind. It was kind of similar to now, but it was far more clunky and... Yeah, yeah. You could because of the audio quality, because I feel audio quality's improved, even on older stuff. The way it's being remastered, mm-hmm. being a bass player, you could barely hear the bass on some of this shit. But you'd be <laughs> know, fo- especially when you put a cassette in. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, you'd be you'd be following a bassist who might have known Thin Lizzy's Jailbreak back to front, you know, like mm. or Boys Are Back in Town back to front, where all little. You know, especially as a fingerstyle bass player, I'm not a pick play player. I don't like doing it that way. I'm just not as nimble. I prefer fingers. I can sort of get around a bit easier. But there's just things that with a pick sound like they're done with a pick, as of course Phil Linnett did. And if you don't play it exactly the way that he played it, sometimes people give you their stink eye. And it's like, <laughs> don't hate me. I'm never going to see you again anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good luck next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mate, that's about it. Uh, I really want to thank you for the conversation. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. 
My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and that interview subject was Rick Webster. Thanks so much for listening.